Amen. Praise God. Grab your seats, everybody. Go ahead and grab a seat. Wow. I don't know if we need any preaching. We could just keep doing that. Wow, 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 wow. Well, great to see everyone here today. Welcome to uh, week number one of our new series here, You're Not the Boss of Me. It has a certain little attitude to it, doesn't it? Not the boss of me. Hey, before we open up God's word, I wanted to share with you, once a year we, um, we do a little survey here in the church in like Sunday morning service, and every year we like to just take a minute and just get back and kind of share what was that about rather than fill things out and never see it or think about it again. And so I wanted to kind of share some little nuggets that we were able to kind of mine from uh, the survey that you guys uh, took and questions that you answered. And so let me just share four things. And the first thing that I share, if you felt so inclined to perhaps say amen or yes, I probably would not object. And so it is simply this, uh, last year, uh, almost just under 100 people in this local church committed their lives to Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise God. So news just doesn't really get any better than that. That is just wonderful. And we certainly want to celebrate the work of God here. And then uh, there was another little section of the survey. And I just found it so, so interesting. There was a, a group of people who just identified themselves as just, we're just visitors. So they were saying like, this isn't necessarily my home church. I'm just a visitor here. And then there was a whole other group of people who, and they call themselves spiritual seekers. And the way we defined that when we took the survey was they, they're not even necessarily Christians. These are people who have questions about the Bible and Christianity, and, and, and they're here in this church. And then there was a whole other group of people, and it's probably from the 100 people who just committed their lives to Christ, and they're like, we're just brand new believers. We are babies. And when we put that number together, on a given week, there's over 100 people here who really are not terribly familiar with perhaps what some of us here are very familiar with is that being church. And so I just looked at that and firstly I thought, man, I actually love the fact that there are people here who don't know the Bible, don't know Jesus Christ. Maybe they don't have any religion or a different religion. Maybe they're atheists. I don't, and I just want to, I'm just so thrilled. If that's you here today, we're so glad and we want to make you just feel so welcome here. What I want to say to those of us who maybe you've been coming to church here for a few years or maybe even for a few decades, if that's you, do you know the way when you go to any kind of social gathering, you tend to gravitate towards people that you know? And I really want to encourage any person here, particularly if you've been coming here any length of time, actually not to do that. And every week, get and go out of your way to find over 100 people every week here who just, all of this is new to them. And I think it's good for us to just get to know each other and shake hands and get to know each other's names. And I, there's a kind of a cultural phrase in terms of how we like to communicate this. And it's simply this. In this local church, everybody is welcome and everybody is loved and nobody's perfect. Amen? Amen, Amen for me on that one. And then we believe that with God, anything is possible. Amen? I mean, that's the power of the God that we serve. And so we really want to extend ourselves and reach out to people, perhaps where this is a little uh, uncommon and unknown to them. Sound good? Number three, uh, this was kind of dealing with some felt needs in our lives. The number one felt need that was expressed in this local church was busyness, busyness, busyness. That we are just running around at too fast of a pace in life with so much hurry and frantic activity and noise and, you know, 
car going through the drive-through, gritting the lousy food and shoving it down our throat because we're overcommitted, trying to chase the American dream, bigger car, bigger house, and that whole thing. And we've actually preached into that quite considerably. And the reason why is because probably about three years ago now, we took nine months of prayer and fasting. And we really felt the Lord speaking to us, a fresh sense of mission for us as a church and gave us really some specific language around that. And it is simply this, we're here to lead people into a focused life with Jesus Christ. And I think what the confession was is that there's actually a, a lot of distracted life sometimes where sometimes it's hard to hear from God or enjoy the Lord and, and to be with God and to grow in God because we're just running around with our like chickens with our heads cut, cut off sometimes. And so... Uh, we really felt it was just a real affirmation of what the Holy Spirit had spoken to us as a leadership, and, and we would be just you know, increasingly excited to try to serve everyone here in that regard. The second item was finances, and the third item was uh, relationships, which we just finished a, a series last week, which I think dealt with a lot of those pieces as well. The last little thing I wanted to mention was, uh, if you might just reach in the card in front of you, these are kind of scattered around, around from chair to chair. This little card here, there was uh, almost 200 people who expressed... I really want to serve in the church. And on this little card, we have three specific places where we need servants. People who just want to, you know, wash feet like Jesus did. Like, ro roll up my sleeves. How can I serve other people? How can I love and care for other people? And so we've got a few teams here. We have a security team here. Uh, they're called the Crisis Response Team. And they make sure uh, children are safe and hallways are safe and people are fine. And if anyone ever has a health issue here, they're like all over it. You don't even know they're here. They're like camouflage ninjas all over the church. They're an amazing team. We need more people on that team. We need more people in the, in the parking crew and greeting and making coffee and helping out and on the worship team. And we need more people to give some love and care to the little babies over here and to the children upstairs and the, from the different grades. And so if you're one of the 200 people that said, like, I really would like to do that. We actually just put this card in here, especially for you. And even if you didn't sign it, but if you feel God tugging you to do that, I'm going to ask you to fill that out right now. And at the end of the service, there'll be baskets at the door, and you can just kind of plop them in there. Okay, let's open up God's Word if we can. I wanted to first start off by mentioning two authors. Perhaps you've heard of them before. One gentleman whose name is C.S. Lewis and another gentleman whose name is J.R. Tolkien. And legend has it that these two literary giants, uh, perhaps you've heard of their names, were actually friends and would on occasion pop into the pub together to share a drink and, sh and probably swap a few stories. No doubt about it, they are literary uh, geniuses. C.S. Lewis, prolific theologian, kind of sci-fi writer, fantasy writer. Uh, some of his books have been turned into big Hollywood movies like uh, the Chronicles of Narnia and The Lion, the Witch, and Wardrobe. Maybe you've seen them or your kids have seen them. Really great stuff. And then the other fellow, J.R. Tolkien, uh, he wrote a, a number of uh, books, but his were also made into uh, some movies, The Hobbit and, and The Lord of the Rings and, and uh, big, big blockbuster movies. There's no doubt about it. As I have read their material and looked at some of those movies, their work, in my opinion, is just brimming over with spiritual uh, themes with really, I mean, sometimes it's a little subtle. Other times it's like, man, that is just so obvious. That's like Christian teaching going on in your writing and in those movies that were made. Tolkien, in one of his books, uh, The Two uh, Towers, he creates a fictional character who's such a snake of a little man. And in the movie, the person who acts him does a, just a tremendous job. The character is known as Grima Wormtongue. Maybe you've seen the movie or maybe you've read the book. The, the fellow who did the acting just did a great job. And he's this sort of weak, 
character, sort of a little bit kind of hunched over. Uh, and you would never look at him and think, well, he's a sort of a, a physically strong guy or, or formidable person at all. His pallor is extremely pale, kind of a greasy, weaselly looking character. He's such a snake of a guy. And you see him in the writing and in the movies. Where he positions himself is he's always standing behind or beside the throne of an incredible warrior, a guy called King Theoden. And what he's doing is, even though he has no kind of sort of physical prowess, where he's exceptional is he is unbelievably eloquent. And this guy can spin words together like nobody's business. And he positions himself right beside this king. And his words, it would seem, they've kind of placed a spell on this character, this mighty King Theoden. And he's just kind of influencing and whispering and suggesting and little ideas. And he's spinning words. And, and so this king is actually so affected by worm tongue. What a name, worm tongue, that he has actually changed his appearance. He has become um, older than he is. He has become decrepit and, and, and aged and, and uh, delusional. And what you find out very, very quickly is that this character, worm tongue, who appears so weak, and such a sly weasel of a character, actually, he's the one with all the power. Actually, he's the one behind the throne, just sort of moving the strings. And you watch this mighty king has become nothing more than a puppet to worm tongue. Now, I say all that by way of introduction of this series, because this is the, the picture of what I believe happens in our lives. That I want to suggest today, perhaps unknown to you, that there is an influence that there is a person who is bringing a cunning that is so eloquent, so manipulative, that they're actually undercutting your life and actually damaging your soul. And they're so good at it, it's possible to be functioning in a very decrepit way and you don't even know it. And here's what happens. You end up making statements like this. Well, that's just the way things are. That's just how I am. And we fail to actually grasp that somebody's been whispering in your ear with an agenda that is very far away from God's agenda for your life. And so I want to give you some statements right now, if I could. And I want you to listen to these very carefully. Not so much that perhaps you've heard them from other people, but perhaps you've said these yourself. Listen to these, and I want you to find the cunning and the manipulation in them. First one here is, oh, I, I've always been an angry person. Person. Have you ever said that? Uh, you know, sometimes I fly off the handle. You know, I'm, uh, uh, don't mind me, I'm just like my dad. That's the way my dad was, that's kind of how I am. Ever, ever kind of thought like that, or maybe even said something like that? You know, when, when people do the wrong thing, I mean, justice is really important to me. So I, I can't let go of that stuff. I have a hard time just saying that that's okay or, or just saying you're forgiven for that because justice is really important to me. You know, and, and this is more probably to a sense of self-identity, it's, it's, it's only me. It's just me. I'm not really, I mean, I'm just an, an ordinary person. You know? I mean, I'm, I'm not that important in the scheme of things. And what I want to say to you, and, th and these are mere examples, and I could probably say another 50 of them, what I want to say about these statements is 
those statements simply do not align with what God says to be true about you and your purposes and his original design in your life and your future. They simply do not align with what is true. And so sometimes I believe we will say these kinds of statements very casually. Sometimes I think almost to justify our own thinking and our own behavior and our own speaking. Sometimes we'll make a statement like, oh, don't mind me, I fly off the handle every now and again. And what happens is we are deceived in that moment. Notice what is completely absent from a statement like that. Oh, I just fly off the handle sometimes. Any personal responsibility in that statement? Zero. I just fly off the handle. That's just the way I am. That's just the way it is. I'll always be that way. There's no personal responsibility. And secondly, there is no commitment to the biblical reality that God has devoted himself to actually transforming you and changing you and morphing you and making you more like Jesus Christ. And when we make statements like that, we forego and we neglect what God said he wants to do in our lives. Over the next four weeks, we are going to encounter and face and uncover some stealthy bullies. And sometimes they are so hidden and they are so conniving. And actually, other times, we, we know about them. They are loud and they are obvious. They are overt. And with God's help, here's what we're going to do. We're going to expose them for what they are. And what are they? Well, they're lies. They're just lies. We're going to line them up against the word of God. And we're going to say, God... I want you to set me free from thinking and functioning like that. Because that's not the future that I have in you, God. And my prayer and my hope is that you will be transformed and changed in the way you oper operate, the way that you parent, the way that you love your spouse, the way that you function in work, and even the way you just even look at yourself. So in this series, we're going to look at four sort of mega bosses that want to boss you around and run your life for you. And they are simply these. Anger, passivity, bitterness, and rejection. We're going to take a look at all four of those things. And make no mistake about, the, about this. Those four, four words right there, they are four monsters. They are four bullies. They are four deceptions that want to enter your life and boss you around for the remainder of your life. And we're going to expose them and evict them with the help of God. So, Here's what I'd like to do as we kind of launch this series to start off with. I want to actually start with the solution, which is something I don't usually do. And actually, this solution is going to be the same solution that we return to each of these four weeks as we face each of these bullies. The solution in and of itself is incredible and amazing and it's wonderful and it's godly and it is freeing. But so often, there is even another deception around the solution. And the deception is this. Oh, no. That's that thing the Bible says to do when I've done something wrong. I don't know if I like that. Let me tell you what it is. It is repentance. How do you feel about that word? Because so often I think we go, oh no, repentance. Isn't repentance the thing you do because you've done something terrible and now you have to do that terrible thing called repentance? I think we look at repentance sometimes as a not so nice word as the thing we do when we've really messed things up. I mean, who really wants to be the person who says, I did something wrong, it was me. Our pride doesn't want to let us do that, does it? We'd rather say, somebody else did something wrong and I was right. Who wants to be the person to say, well, let me confess 
my errors and mistakes. Let me talk about my shame and my... Nobody wants to do that. And oftentimes, I think it's, we look at repentance as it's kind of a slap on the wrist. And can I ask you to consider perhaps a very different way of looking at this word repentance? The act of coming to God and saying, I was wrong. The act of humbling your heart, which states very, very clearly, God, not only was I wrong, but I need your help to put this right. That request, clean me up, please, God. Could you please, would you please forgive me? The actual joy of being forgiven. I don't want to get used to that. I want to be like Alison was talking about earlier. There's, I want to have a childlike wonder and awe around, he's forgiven me. I don't ever want to lose that in my life. The actual capacity to turn around is a great thing. And I would, I would call you today and challenge you today to look at this actually as a present. As a Christmas morning, run down the stairs and rip it open and go, what has my father given to me today? That's what this is. Thank you, God, for the gift, the present of repentance. And I want you to think about it like this. What if there was no such thing as repentance? Because this is God's invention. He came up with it. This is not my deal or your deal. This is God's gift. What if it didn't exist? What if you actually couldn't come before God and say, please, would you clean me up? Please, could you bring forgiveness into my heart? What if you could never turn your, turn, your, turn your life around? Well, what would happen is you would continue to walk in the wrong direction and turn your back on God. Allow me, if I could, to break down I, this solution, this biblical gift, into four very simple parts. If you are a note taker, this is the place where you want to take your notes. If you're like, I am not a note taker, I would encourage you, maybe this is one you might want to take a few notes on. I actually think it'll help you a little bit, okay? So let's just break down this gift of repentance. Number one is simply this, repent of the sin. And what I mean by that is when, you, when you've gone there, that you say, God, I want to call it what it is. It's sin. I, I, I want to I I admit the reality that this is actually sin in my life. Maybe it's words or attitudes or behavior or the treatment of people or your tone towards other individuals. It may be even your response. Somebody came and did something bad to you. And so you're like, oh, really? Well, I'm going to do something bad back at you. And you look at that and you say, that's not okay. I'm going to call that what it is. It is sin. God, I want to repent of what I've actually done. Something bad happened. I responded with anger or with fear or with unforgiveness or malice or jealousy. And I, I am going to call it what it is, God. That's sin. I want to turn away from that. Acts chapter 3 says this. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. And that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Now, is that a good thing or a bad thing? That's a wonderful thing. Look what happens when we repent. Sins are, say it together, what are they? Wiped out. Anyone here want times of refreshing? Sign me up for some of those. I'd like some times of refreshing that come from your Father. This is what repentance does in our lives. Number two, receive God's forgiveness and cleansing. Now here's what so often happens. And I know that you know this. You come before God because of the sin in your life. And you're like, hey God, I messed up. Yep, that was me. I, I did that. I'm willing to repent. I'm going to call it what it is. Can you please forgive me? And then you get up off your knees and you go on with the rest of your day. And guess what? You're like, man, I am such a lousy person for doing that. 
can't believe I said that. I can't believe I made that mistake. I can't believe I treated that person. And now you begin to heap on to yourself guilt and shame. Even though you just came before God an hour ago and said, God, would you please forgive me for that? Anyone ever done that? It's like you're unwilling to let yourself off the hook. You feel like, I, I'm just going to punish myself for a little bit longer, even though you've actually brought that sin before God. And sometimes what we need to do is we need to say, God, what you did on the cross for me was enough. It was more than enough, even for that thing that I did that was so awful and terrible. And so, God, I receive your forgiveness. You're cleaning me up. I say yes to that. I'm going to stand in agreement with that. Rather than repenting and then walking away as if you never brought that before the Father. Does this make sense? Psalm 103 says this. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. I'm so glad of that. Or repay us according, according to our iniquities, our, our mistakes. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Number three, rebuke the enemy for trying to boss you. And there's one word to describe this. Rebuke the enemy for trying to boss you around. One word. And it is the word authority. To take your rightful place of authority. Worm tongue came beside a throne to King Theoden. And he starts influencing and whispering in his ear and suggesting all of these ideas and thoughts. What did the king fail to do? He should have stood up and said, hey, worm tongue, shut up and get out. I'm the king. Get away from my throne. You have no right to be in my presence. But he failed to yield, to wield his authority. He never did so. And so we don't go around as people who are just being pushed around by bullies. We don't go around with a victim kind of thinking. That's just the way I am. I'll never change. These are the things I do. This is how I think. These was my parents did it, so I do it. We're not going to say yes to that kind of manipulation. Rather, we stand up and we say no to that kind of junk. We step into the truth. And my father is a king and he adopted me. So therefore, I am now a child of a king. And my dad is bigger than anyone else's dad. And that's where I approach this liar who wants to manipulate me. God says that my life, that your life, is underneath his rule and his leadership and his supremacy and his reign. And anything that wants to differ from that is not from your heavenly father. That is nothing more than an evil agenda. As sons and daughters, we are not to live under the thumb of the evil one. And so what do we do? We take authority. Like a master tells his dog what to do, this is how we speak to the enemy. And we derive our power from where? Is it from me? Is it from you? Nah, we know better than that. We, de we derive clout and authority and influence and confidence in the name that is above every name. His name is Jesus Christ. And the word of God tells us 
that their every knee and will bow and every tongue will confess as to his lordship, his lordship and his leadership and his supremacy and his rule and his dominion and his power. There is nobody like him. You can't even compare God and this enemy that we're rebuking. Did you know that you cannot compare God and Satan? You can't do it. And so often we do. We're like, oh, night and day, right? Good and bad. Evil and holiness. God and Satan. You can't even compare. Because the word of God says, there is nobody to compare with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The only one that you could compare possibly Satan to would be maybe a Gabriel or a Michael. But you cannot compare Satan to God. There's no contest. They're not even in the same league at all. And so we take authority in the name of Jesus Christ. James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's what the Bible tells us to do. Satan's coming against you. You resist him in the name of Jesus Christ and he has to flee. Number four. We replace all lies with God's truth. And so that's what we're going to do. And today, in just a moment, we'll probably have a chance to touch on anger a little bit. We're going to look at it for what it is. We're going to say, oh, look, and we're going to declare it to be a lie. We're going to look at it and say, look at this falsehood that has attempted to immerse itself in my thinking and in my behavior and in my life. And look at the ramifications of that in my marriage and in my job. This is how people lose jobs and lose reputations. So we're going to look at these attitudes and falsehoods and these emotions and these words and these lies and, and we're going to look at them for what they are, that they are dead and paid for. We expose the lie that gives room and permission for anger in your life. There's a lie that will come in and says, embrace anger. Go right ahead. You have, you have the right to be filled with rage. You are entitled to anger. Worm tongue will come in and give you permission. And you'll agree with the lie. And now anger becomes this unleashed force in your life. Now instead, we fill our hearts and our minds with truth. Here's what we're doing. We're replacing the lies with truth. We're filling our minds and our hearts with the truth that comes from Jesus Christ and his word. And this is where repentance actually becomes incredibly active. We live out repentance. Holy Spirit, lead me and guide me to specific truth in your word and around the character of Jesus Christ that will counter the specific lies that this worm tongue has attempted to feed into my soul. So look at these statements that we made earlier. And I want you to do a weighing up here on a scale. So now instead of saying, well, that's just the way I am. So no personal responsibility. No commitment to the fact that God wants to transform us and change us. That's just the way I am. That's the way my mom was. That's the way my dad was. My mom was always a very passive-aggressive person. And I'm just like her. Same genes. I'm a very passive-aggressive person. And we say these things, we speak these things over our own lives. Oh, you know, I've always been like that. I had a lady after the first service tell me her mother is 99 years of age. 99. And she literally says to her, look, I'm too old to change. I said, here's what you're going to say to your mom. If you're not dead, you're not done. <laughs> There's no age where God goes... Oh, I only do 98-year-olds and down. 99, you're good to go. I'm no longer committed to transforming you and making you like Jesus Christ. 99 is my limit. Come on. So those statements, that's just the way I am. That's just how I think. 
That's how my family, I was raised in a family, and we always did that. We always, we speak like that. We react like that. We respond to that. Now, I want you to weigh that up. Instead, now, we're going to replace those lies, because that's what they are, and we're going to replace them with truth. Instead of giving ourselves permission and walking away from God's commitment to transform us and change us, how about this for God's truth? Galatians chapter 2. You see, I've been crucified with Christ. How about now we begin to fuel this into our heart, into our soul, and into our mind? I've been crucified with Christ. You see, it's no longer me. It's not not me who's living here. It's actually Christ living in me. You see, the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God and who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you see the difference between those two things? Ah, it's just the way I am. I can do that. That's just the way my dad was. That's just the way we are. I've always responded like that. Hang on a second. It's no longer I who lives. It's Christ who lives in me. Don't you know that Jesus Christ, he gave himself up for me. He's bringing me into freedom. Those are two very different postures. And one is a lie and one is the truth. I want us to have an awareness that we are not resigned to sameness. It doesn't always have to be the way it is because it's always been that way. And some of you today have resigned yourself to sameness, to stagnancy in ways that are simply apart from God's truth for your life. We are personal beings created by God himself. What God provides into our lives is not something that is static and immovable. C.S. Lewis calls it automata. That's his, his little word he coined on this. In other words, you're, you're not, it's not this mechanical response to life or your genes or your family or your history or your environment or even a mechanical response to God's grace. God's grace didn't work for me in the past, so it's not going to work for me today. And, and C.S. Lewis goes, man, you are not automata. You don't have to resign yourself to just the same thing again and again. Here's, here's the truth. Your character can change. Your character can be refined Your behavior can change by the power of the Holy Spirit. Your convictions can mature. Your gifts can be cultivated. And you are indeed free to be different. When I think that God created this thing called repentance, and he put together this present, and he wrapped it up with a bow for me and for you, I want to have a heart that's filled with gratitude towards that. It's not this bad thing that I do because I've been caught being bad. It's Christmas morning, and you're taking four steps at a time coming down the staircase, turning around the corner, and look what's under the tree. Look what the Father has for me. This is his process for bringing healing and restoration into your life, and it's because of the cross and all, everything about repentance is actually great news and good news. The only thing, the only thing that you and I contribute into this is the sin from which we're actually redeemed. So this is the solution that we will return to every single week. Repent. We receive from God. Your cross was enough. I'm not going to go around kicking myself with guilt all day. I'm going to take authority. We rebuke the enemy. And then we replace those lies with specific truth. Today, with the remaining time that I have, we're going to look at some these frequent flyers. I want to look at anger. And this is not the good anger. This is not righteous anger. This is the kind that bubbles and boils and erupts. 
This is the kind where people lose their jobs and their reputation. And some of you here have literally, you've, you've lived that and done that. I lost that job. I can never go back into that field because I lost it. I lost my cool. This is the kind of anger that destroys marriages where children begin to withdraw and say, man, I, I know that mom's not, you don't want to go near mom today. You want to give dad some space. So let me do this if I could. I'm going to draw a little picture for you here, and hopefully this illustrates. So it's going to be, um, are we good, Reese, with this? Okay, so it's going to be a little art with Pastor Alan, so I apologize ahead. So just by way of illustration, and then if I can get this right. Okay, that's not half bad for a start, I tell you that much. All right, so here's, what, here's how it is. Uh, number one, how God made you. Isn't that nice? And this is where you love God. This is where you love God, and you, and you actually enjoy being loved and cared for by your Father, the one who made you, who gave you life. This is, this is the way we were designed. But of course, we know what happens. What happens is, in comes a wound. I got to say, that's some of my best work, guys. <laughs> okay. And I don't have to convince anybody of this, do I? Right? Life comes and kicks you in the teeth. Somebody comes and they're nasty and they're mean and they neglect you and they forget you and they... And when you're down, they kick you all the more. And we've all been there and done that. Here's where worm tongue will begin his work. Here's where this boss will come in and try to influence your life. Here's where it is. It is your, your reaction. And here's your reaction. Sound familiar? And here's the thing with that. You actually haven't done anything wrong yet. 99% of that moment in your life is all in your head. It is ideas and thoughts and words. And, and we're all, we've all done this one, where the thing that was done to you, the wound, man, I'm going to replay that tape again and again and again, right? I'm going to go over it and over and over. And how that person was nasty to me, and they were rude and unkind, and they stuck it to me, and they forgot me, and they neglected, and they took the credit, and it should have been me, all of that kind of stuff. And then and you replay that tape. The next time you encounter that person, they could do something this small to you, but it feels this big because you are already, man, I'm getting angry. I am entitled to be angry. Watch the deception. I have a right because what was done to me, I was wounded and they hurt me, so I have a right to be offended. I'm upset. I'm angry. Haven't done anything yet. This is Worm Tongue's favorite spot for you. And he will whisper in your ear until you are delusional and decrepit. Last one. Here's the result. Uh, here it comes. That's lightning. And that's not good. Now you are hurting others because you got hurt. And now we have damaged relationships. There are times when anger is good and right and appropriate. There are times when anger should trigger you towards action. Anger is an alarm clock. Anger, 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 anger. Something is wrong. Anger in, the, in, in its right context should move you to put things into a good place. But that's not what I'm talking about here today. These are the times when anger is sin. 
and it will attempt to boss your life and mark you for the rest of your life. And here's the deceit. We think we have a right to our anger. We think we are entitled to our rage. Anger will say one thing to you. You owe me. That's what it'll say to you. And that relationship that you had with the person who hurt you or wounded you in any way, you will now bring a, a complete redefinition to that relationship instead of a healthy, loving relationship between two people. Here's what happens. You redefine the relationship to simply mean this. This is a, a, a debt-to-debtor relationship. That's how we now function. New terms. Debt and debtor. You owe me because of what you did to me. The root of anger says something has been taken away from me. And now here's what we begin to think. And here's the deception. Here's the lie that we're going to expose. I was hurt, so I get to hurt. I was wounded. I get to wound somebody else. I was offended. I get to offend somebody else. Something was taken away from me. I can be as angry as I like. And we wrap our arms around it. We think that was done to me. I can do this back to you. And what are we doing when we think like this? We are agreeing with a lie. And in that anger, we act on the lie. You owe me, and I will get my pound of flesh. Now catch the heart of this deceit. It's actually quite clever. Because deceit, 99% of the time, is, it looks like a whole bunch of truth. Real truth, good truth. And it just puts in a little bit of error. Just a little seasoning, a little salt and pepper of just error, like pure error. And so here, here's what happens. I did nothing wrong. True. I'm, I'm right. I didn't deserve that. True. Tick the, t check the box, right? That's good. This is all truth. I didn't deserve the treatment that was given to me. True. Nothing can be done to change what happened. True. I didn't deserve this. I was wronged. True. Here it is. Ready? Watch. Here comes the seasoning. I have the right to be offended. False. If you are a follower of Christ, do you have the right to be offended? Oh, you're not so sure about that one, huh? Think about it. If you are a follower of Christ, do you ever, ever, ever have the right to be offended? No. You never have the right to be offended. The word of God, here's a strong word, commands you, expects of you forgiveness. That does not mean that you are a doormat. That does not even mean that that person is trustworthy. That's not what it means. But you never have the right to say, offense, I will keep it, I will hold it, I will coddle it, I will nurture it, I will enjoy feeling offended. No, we are called to forgive every time. So what do we do when we agree with the lie that leads us to a place of anger? Put it more simply, church, what do we do when we sin? It's not a trick question. Anyone? We repent. So let's do that right now. Let's stand up together. For those of you today, and this is like, check, 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 check. I've said this. Yeah, oh, I'm just an angry person. My dad was angry. 
I've, I'm just like my dad. Yeah, I fly off the handle. It happens. This is for you. And so I want to really encourage you to make this prayer your prayer. Make these words your words, genuinely from your heart. So, Father, we come before you right now, and we repent. Thank you that we get to open up this present right now. Jesus, we confess we have allowed anger to mark our lives and our relationship with other people. God, even our relationship with you sometimes. And so in this moment, I ask you to forgive the way anger has affected my life and the lives of those around me. I ask for forgiveness for every time I have resisted you and denied your commands and denied your character due to anger in my life. I see it today for what it is, and I call it sin. And now I turn in repentance, and I commit myself with your help to breaking patterns of anger. That is no longer my mode of operation, and I ask you to forgive me and clean me up. I receive from you today. I will not walk out of this room today having apologized to you and asked you for forgiveness and yet continue to punish myself. Because what you did on the cross was enough. It was enough for me. And I believe in your forgiveness that I am not condemned by my Father, that you have washed me and cleaned me up, and you loved me so much that you sacrificed yourself for me. And so I say yes, and I receive forgiveness from my Father. Lord, we rebuke the enemy. In the name of Jesus Christ, with the, the, with the authority that you give us as your sons and your daughters, we rebuke every evil spirit, every evil agenda and plan, any lie and every lie that would feed anger into my life. And we say with great authority and great confidence that all of that evil is subject to the person and the name of Jesus Christ. And lastly, God, today we replace specific lies with specific truth. We replace anger and permission to be anger and entitlement towards rage with the truth of what my Father says about me. I am a man, I am a woman of peace. Your spirit lives inside of me. Your word says that your spirit is growing fruit in my life, the fruit of self-control and patience and even kindness, God, and instead of anger, that I actually would be a person even of gentleness instead of anger. That would take the place of rage. I no longer agree with the lie that if something is done to me, that I have the right to get back and that person now owes me. I agree with you, God, when you have called me to compassion and kindness, even to my enemies, that I am to forgive them just as I have been forgiven by Jesus Christ. And the whole church said, amen. Okay, before you walk out the door, one last question for you. Is this one and done? Nope. This ain't, that sounded very American. This ain't be one and done. And what I mean by that is 48 hours. I'm going to call it. For those of you who struggle with anger, I think you got probably 48 hours. And here's what the enemy is going to do. Oh, you repented of anger, did you? Let's take that out for a test drive. I'll give you 48 hours where the enemy's gonna come in like worm tongue and try to promote entitled anger in your life. And here's what's happened. You're gonna fall off the wagon, potentially. 
And here's the lie that's going to follow these lies that you've already repented of. Well, that didn't work. So much for that sermon. So much for that prayer. So much for that repenting. In fact, this is worse because now you knew better. That's pretty clever, isn't it? And what I would say to you simply is this. It's not one and done. It is not one and done. This is actually how we walk with Jesus Christ. And once more, here's what you do. What do you do when you fail of your repentance? When you repent of your repentance, what do you do? You go back and you actively repent again. That's how we follow Jesus Christ. Every day, one step at a time. Love you, church. God bless. Have a great week.